Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 19. We'll study verses 1 through 7. First Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. Here we pick up in this section of this ancient history of the church. Yes, I do mean that in the ancient history of the church. We study David in the ascension of the king within whose self uh, Christ will come and from his line will sit upon his throne. The king of promise, the son that the Lord said that David would have, who will always fill his throne for an everlasting kingdom. And so as we study this ancient history of the church in the Old Testament, do be mindful that this is the story of God's faithfulness, not just to Israel, but also to us. This is, in essence, the story that leads to Christ, the good king, the one who will never fail and who succeeded for the people of God. And so let's study verses 1 through 7, 1 Samuel chapter 19. This is God's word. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, My father seeks to kill you, therefore be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you, and if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David and to Saul his father and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without a cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he will not be put to death. And Jonathan called David. And Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. The word of the Lord. May we receive it, learn from it, be shaped under its ministry. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we have heard the scriptures read, and we pray for your power to be brought upon us by the Holy Spirit. Move in the midst of us. Convict us. Instruct us, comfort us. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This is the story of King Saul's struggle with this new man, this young man, this champion of Israel, David. He's not just any man. We already know that he is, as has been described, a man after God's own heart. He's been anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. But there's a problem, isn't there? There is already a king in Israel. 
There is Saul, a man who has transgressed God's word, who's not been faithful, who's not done what the Lord has commanded. And yet, this young upstart, this shepherd boy, has in every way fulfilled what the Lord has appointed. And Saul is struggling with it. He's jealous. He wants the attention. He wants the adoration. He wants to hold on to the kingdom. It has never seemed, at least in my reading of the text, that Saul has any concern for legacy. We've never seen him be very kind to Jonathan. In fact, we've seen the very opposite. We've seen him be jealous of Jonathan. We've seen him wrest power from Jonathan. But rather, Saul is about himself. So much so that he's been an angry man toward David. He has been a man from whom the presence of the Lord and the power of God has been withdrawn. And he feels his weakness. He's been overwhelmed by wicked spirits from the Lord and in rage has tried to kill David. He's thrown a spear at him once and twice and missed him as he tried to pierce him through and pin him to the wall. And he's also taken David and sent him on a death mission for the sake of the hand of his daughter, Michael. And in all of this, the Lord has been with David and the thing that we're told again and again and again in all of Saul's failures against David is that he is afraid of him. He's afraid of him. And frankly, he has very good reason to be afraid. And here in these verses of Scripture, we encounter... What could be called murmuring, whispering behind the back of David. In the fearful heart of Saul, he knows he can't touch him. And so instead, he tries to assassinate his reputation, his personality. And yes, if he can encourage others to do it for him, actually assassinate David himself. And you may say, well, I don't know. We're probably not going to experience something like that. We're not in a kingdom. There's not the succession plan. We elect our leaders. They're a long way from divinely anointed and appointed, at least as far as I can discern. I know God is sovereign, but this is a bit contextually different. Will I ever experience this? And friends, I would submit to you that you may not experience the political intrigue and the political nature of this But you and I live in an age of murmuring, of people talking about one another behind one another's back. This happens in politics. This happens in work. This happens in families. This happens even in the sacred family, the church. And so there are things for us to learn regarding how to deal with wicked murmuring. The first point this evening In verse 1 is the weakness of murmuring. The weakness of murmuring. And then in verse 1, the second portion, all the way to verse 3. What to do when you hear murmuring. What to do when you hear murmuring. And then in verses 4 through 7, how to stop murmuring. How to stop murmuring. Please do forgive me for this strange word here. It's... Not one that often gets used, but nonetheless, it means to talk about somebody behind their back. To conduct a whisper campaign against a person uh, to do them harm. And so again, we come to verse 1. And the first thing that we encounter in chapter 19 
is the slander campaign of Saul. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Well, that's pretty direct. And that's a hard place to begin. After all, David's not just anybody anymore. He's not just the shepherd boy, not just the champion against the Philistines. No, he's who? He's his son-in-law. This is David who's won the hand of Michael, the daughter of Saul, at a very strange and extreme price. 100 pieces of male Philistines and David brought him 200. A dangerous thing and a mighty man and to bring it to the foot of Saul and to cast it down before him must have been terrifying. It's not a small issue. If anything, it shows David to be not only capable but blessed by God. Yet, Saul slanders David to anyone who will listen. The murmuring, the whispered voices, the ears filled. What's the whole goal of Saul? Again, it's pretty simple. We're told in the text, not only that he spoke to Jonathan and all the servants, but what he said, that they should kill David. Now, we just read a psalm together just a moment ago, Psalm 56, a psalm of David, and you get a little bit probably of David's experience broadly, if not very specifically, in this circumstance, or at least his experience, which was formed by the murmuring, the wickedness, and the attack of Saul. And you see, murmuring has kind of a twofold influence, really. The text doesn't tell you that Saul is trying to discredit, but nonetheless, murmuring discredits. It's just necessary. If you're going to speak against somebody with the attempt to stir up other people against them, you've got to attack specific things about them, and you have to demonize them, make them look evil, wicked, and worthy of hatred. That's what you're doing. You're just building up this picture of how you want people to think about that person so that they despise them. And if you think about this, this specifically with Saul, but I think in the hearts of all people, murmuring arises out of jealousy and fear. That's specifically what's going on with Saul. He wants the adoration. He wants the popularity. He wants the power. He doesn't want David to have this success. He doesn't want David to be adored. He wants to be adored. After all, he's handsome. He's taller than all the rest. He's the king. Who's this silly, young David? He's jealous. And jealousy is a weakness. Jealousy is altogether saying, I don't have what the other guy or the other girl has. I'm less than them. At the very bottom of jealousy is the self-perception that you are less than someone else and you want what they have. You say, well, that sounds a lot like coveting. Yes, they are related things, right? Coveting. But out of a fearful heart, because what's going on? Are these concerns and is this resistance going directly to the person? No, absolutely not. It's murmuring. It's slander. It's speech behind the back. 
And in one sense, there is a reality to it that if people are murmuring about you, you should simply know they're afraid of what would happen if they murmur in front of you. And for David, it makes good sense why Saul would be concerned. David, after all, is very mighty. But really, down to it, it's a heart that cowers behind shadows, that would rather build up a straw man and light it aflame than face the man himself. And it's weak, and it's petty, and it's cowardly. And it hasn't got the steel of the Holy Spirit within it. It hasn't got the courage of Christ to climb Calvary. It hasn't any of the fire of the majesty of a holy God who wages war righteously. It's bound up on weakness. Chapter 18, verse 12, we're told and proved in the text these exact things. 18.12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. 18.15, Saul stood in fearful awe of David. 18.28-29, the third time Saul knew that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved him and Saul was even more afraid of David. And so why do I bring this to you? Why am I pointing out this first point? That there is weakness in the very essence of murmuring. Well, it is to help you when you experience it. It is to help you when you experience it in the first place. Because these attacks that come to you and that are whispered around you and then brought before you, these things you haven't even been aware of. And it seems like everybody knows about it and you feel attacked rightly because you are being attacked. And you think to yourself, how can I deal with this? How am I ever going to climb back out of this? My name has been slandered and people hate me and I haven't even gotten to earn it, quite frankly. If you're like me, you know that you can be a jerk and you earn, generally, disapproval more often than not. But murmuring comes without that interaction, usually. And you think, just what can I do? How can I deal with it? This seems overwhelming, a thing that I can't really deal with. At its core, you need to hear this, it is nothing but weakness from the other party. They are jealous and fearful of who you are. They view you as much more than they are, and they haven't the guts to come and face you directly and in holiness. Work it out with you as a brother or a sister in Christ or as somebody of authority over them or in their life or in their family or in the church. So again, we have Saul murmuring against David. He has trial, tried and he has failed to dispose of him. And God delights in David. He is one who the Lord has pointed out and has set aside specifically for the work that he has called him to. Now, I also want to then take it and bring it back down a little bit. Because there is a help from this passage regarding when this murmuring happens against you to just know the other person as weak. But this ought to be something that is a reality that checks our hearts when we are sinfully tempted to begin murmuring. 
to ask ourselves the heart-searching question, in what way and in what circumstance am I jealous or fearful of the person? Are they both present in me? And is this a holy thing? And then submit it to the test of the call of God for our lives as Christians. It is this sincere thing that we have to pursue within ourselves and constantly be on guard of. What divides the church? Rarely is it public debates and disputes over doctrine. Usually it is private complaining one to another about each other. And I would encourage you, Christian, don't pursue it. And if you find it in yourself, put it to death. Don't do what Saul did and lean into it and then try to fan it into flame and try to get your own way out of weakness. You see, there's a thing about Saul, something he's very aware. I think it's why he takes this tactic. It's not only that he knows that David is great. It's not only that he knows that David has had wonderful success, but he knows that in the providence of God, the Lord will not let him lay a hand on him. And so why is he doing this? Well, out of a wavering heart that knows that God is sovereign over his own actions, he then tests the water to see if God is sovereign over others. And so friends, I want to encourage you that in Holiness, the thing that ought to restrain us from murmuring is a simple knowledge that the things that we say behind the back of another are always heard by God. Always. And that this is not the manner in which the Lord has bid Christians to behave to other Christians for the sake of peace in the church, for good, for peace, for spiritual growth in your own life and for his pleasure to rest upon you as a child of God. Murmuring is ungodly, it's wicked, and it's the weak tactic of cowards. I should very simply say that this sermon is not growing out of a current situation in our church. We're just in the next passage of Scripture. Secondly, in the passage we see, at least, what to do when we, when you, You're murmuring, whether it's in the workplace, in the family, in the church, or otherwise, in verses 1, the second portion, through 3. And in verse 1, we've noticed that Saul spoke ill of David, but he did it to a very specific audience that's here listed. We don't have a clue uh, what the other servants of Saul uh, thought about the words of Saul regarding David, but we do know that Jonathan and David have a wonderful relationship. They're not just close, they are significantly close. Their hearts are wrapped around one another. It is the most wonderful, one of the very deepest expressions of the relationship of one man of God to another man of God in every righteous capacity. And so, whenever Saul speaks to him, what happened is exactly what you might think. He whispered into the ear of Jonathan, a man that loved David, sincerely encouraging him of David's wickedness and that David should then be killed. 
Why does he do it to Jonathan? I don't know. Maybe it's because of the greatness of Jonathan. He is a great warrior. He's filled with courage. I don't know. Maybe it's just his son or, well, maybe it is that simply Saul is blind by the wickedness and the turned nature of his own heart. But exactly what you might think would happen does happen. He tells the wrong person. It's a friend. It's an ally. And it's a word hatefully spoken about David. So what do you do if you're in Jonathan's shoes? Your father, the king, hates your dearest friend and he has no reason. You're caught in the middle. You're the ear that happens to be in earshot of the complaining session and the whisper and the assassination of another person's character. What do you do if it comes to you? And it's a significant thing because very often, I think, at least in my own experience, And in the tendency of my own heart, if I may be absolutely transparent, we want to be cowards like murmurers, even if we don't become murmurers ourselves. We'll hear it, we'll say, wow, that's terrible. You'll think, you'll feel in yourself, wow, that shouldn't be said. And then you'll remain in silence. You ever been in those situations? Where you think, wow, that shouldn't be said. Maybe you're even bothered enough by it that you go home and to your spouse, to your friend, to your roommate, you simply say, I just, I can't believe that got said. I can't believe it. I can't believe he'd say it about him. Or maybe even, I can believe he could say it about him, but that shouldn't be done. But then that's as far as it goes. You're disturbed, you're bothered by it, but it doesn't actually terminate in action. Well, I want to encourage you, Christian, that we have in Jonathan a great example of exactly what to do. And in verse 2, we see this godly example of dealing with the time when you hear murmuring. In verse 2, the first thing that we hear after the ears of Jonathan have been filled with the hatred of Saul, we read simply, And Jonathan told David... That's the first thing. He told David. Now, let me say, that is the second option. Maybe the third option, however it goes, of what people generally do with murmuring. Maybe they say nothing. Maybe they pass it along. Or maybe they go and tell the other person. They just sort of pass it to the one who's going to be hurt by it. And some people do that not knowing what to do about it. But that's their great action. They just, hey, I just want you to know, I just, I just, I want you to be aware of this painful, hurtful thing said about you. And then the reception of it. We're not told of David's reception, but let me just simply say the reception of it hurts people. It's discouraging to people. Sometimes it's overwhelming. But I want to tell you that whenever Jonathan does it, he doesn't do it to discourage It is the first act in a tactic of dealing with murmuring. The first act. He tells David to help him. You can't help David if David doesn't know. Because the next thing is absolutely vital regarding David's knowledge of what Saul is doing. He protected David. That's the second thing. Because you note, as you go on, Verse 2, Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. 
Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. He protects David. That is a protection. It's not just, hey, David, these things are bad. You go and figure out what to do with it. David, I'm, I, don't kill the messenger. Let me just tell you and move along. But rather, David, my father wants to kill you. Go hide yourself. And do it now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Go hide yourself and hide yourself well in a secret place and be on guard. He's in essence saying, have a weapon at your side. You're in a very dangerous circumstance. He doesn't say, oh, David, you need to go deal with him. You need to go and see my father face to face. There is something to that, possibly. But that's not Jonathan's tactic. No, he's a godly man. He takes the one who's being abused and he protects him in the cleft of the rock, as it were. That's the second thing. He protects him. But then in verse 3, he acts. This is the beginning of an act. We're going to read the latter portion of other things he's going to do. Uh, but the third thing in verse 3, he puts himself between Saul and David. Because he tells David, verse 3, And I will go out and stand beside my father in a field, or in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. He then puts himself in the line of fire. That's what should be understood. Why is it important that he's beside his father? Yes, to hear him, but also to physically act. To stop an attack. He's there in the field where David is between them. Now that takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of willingness and a lot of faith in God to actually do this kind of thing and to step in and to get involved. And these are simple things. It's really not that complicated. And they require an immense amount of faith but also courage. But here he is. Jonathan is proving himself to be a friend. You can also prove yourself to be a friend. Do you note he's not defending David? He's not going point by point yet. That hasn't happened. Benjamin, sit down. He is then just simply putting himself in a situation where he can be helpful. He's putting himself in a situation where he can prevent further harm. And so what do I want to say to you in a real point of application? Is when you hear murmuring, what do you do? You don't sit idly. You can follow the example of Jonathan in some way. You tell the one for whom the slander is being conducted. You protect them to the best you can. It probably doesn't mean hiding the person, locking them up in a closet or under your bed or anything, but protecting them tactically and then to put yourself in circumstances where you can be helpful to stop the terrible situation that is at hand and spreading amongst other people. And so verses 4 through 7, a third point, quite well related, uh, and that is how to stop murmuring. So Jonathan has protected David. He's done the essential thing. He stopped him from further harm. Yet Jonathan knows there's still more to be done. There's danger still at hand. David was hated without a cause. He's very much like Jesus in this. There is a powerful man against David. There were powerful men 
against Jesus. They hated Jesus without reason. They hated David without cause. What harm had David done to the kingdom? Nothing but delivered them from the pain, the punishment, and the danger of the Philistines. What else? Well, we can simply say what damage or harm had Christ done? Nothing. He had healed. He had raised from the dead. He had taught truth. He had fed the poor and the hungry. He was a man of peace and full of sacrifice and love and compassion. So how do you stop murmuring? Well, in verses 4 and 5, we see that Jonathan not only protects David putting himself between David and Saul, but then he begins to defend. He goes to the man and he confronts the situation. And let me just say, elders, listen up, brothers, defends David by doing what? He rebukes Saul. Look at verse 4 with me. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. Just put yourself in the shoes. You got a guy saying, David is so bad, we should all kill him. Jonathan goes to him in the midst of his father's rage and he speaks well of David. That's tremendous. It really is. It's not just hap, you know, sort of off the, off the hip. This is significant. And he spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David. That's where he goes immediately in defense. Conviction of sin. He calls him out. Let not the king sin against your servant, David. And so I just want to encourage you, friends. The ground, the first portion of any sort of defense of a sinful act is not saying this person is so great. He or she may or may not be all that great. It's also not saying, hey, David, you come defend yourself. But rather speaking to the offending brother or sister to simply say, the thing you're doing is sin. The conviction of sin is the first step, the first act in stopping a murmuring tongue. You go on and you continue to read. He says, let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you, cutting straight to the heart, and because his deeds have brought good to you. And so you enter in not only to conviction of sin, but then the defense of David on the ground of who he is. You've said this is who David is, but let me, let me tell you, Father. Let me tell you, my king. David's only ever done you good. He's only ever been your servant. And everything that he has done has only been in support of your good and the perpetuation of your reign. In verse 5, you go on, and he continues in this vein, and he says, For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Do you remember what happened? He's not unfaithful. He's not wicked. He's not the man that deserves death. In fact, he's even been willing to take his life and put it on the line for the benefit of another. Now, I'll simply say, you might not have a circumstance where the one for whom you stand in defense of, you can say such wonderful and shining things, but it doesn't mean that you can't say something, especially within the context of the church like this. 
he is my brother. She is my sister. She is a member of this church. He is a member of this church. They are not perfect, but I love them. And Jesus died in their place to make them your family. Maybe that's what the defense sounds like. It could be that the defense is the man is a 30-year faithful elder who served in the church sacrificially. It could be that kind of thing. But it also may simply be, yeah, they've done, yes, they've said very, very foolish things, yet, yet, they're your brother, yet, they're your sister, yet, God has put them in your life for your good and the good of the church. That could be, and that ought to be, at least a portion of defenses that happen within the church that stop murmuring in its tracks but you go on and then there is a return and a rebuke of Saul where the conviction of sin is looked at once more verse 5 why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause that's a really heavy accusation It's a heavy rebuke and it's absolutely fair and it's absolutely clear. And let me simply say, if Jonathan was any other man, it would have probably cost him his head. But he's the son of Saul. And at least at this point, we don't see Saul raising a hand against Jonathan. And it is significant. And it takes absolute courage and absolute and a total convinced heart of the sovereignty of God to be able to do this sort of thing for peace in the midst of the people of God, the kingdom of Christ Jesus. But it's holy. And it is necessary. And it is a thing that not only great men like Jonathan can do, but likewise, Christians can do. In the power of Christ, for the good of Christ, the defense of his name, the peace and all of the state of the church. And does it work? Look at the passage of scripture. Has Jonathan been successful in stopping murmuring? Well, we continue and we read that as Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. That's David. As the Lord lives, David shall not be put to death. And then Jonathan called David and Jonathan reported to him all these things and Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as before. Reconciliation, at least for a moment. Don't think on this because you know what's going on in the very next portion of this chapter that this is a false peace. It's not a false peace. It's real, meaningful reconciliation for the moment and then Saul will sin again. Why do I point that out to you? Well, it's because, encourage, if you step into the defense of another person, you should know that a holy act to stop murmuring can be successful and can lead to those people being reconciled. It doesn't mean that in the future they won't have all kinds of other strife like David and Saul certainly do. But it does mean that this is worth it. And frankly, I would say that this is what Christ would have for us in the church. This is how we ought to deal with circumstances like this. 
There ought to be a call for conviction of sin. There ought to be a defense of the character of the person on the grounds of who God is and what God has done. And then there ought to be yet a rebuke in the midst of it so that they can be turned. This is what God would have for us as a church. This shows forth the heart of Christ. Not every circumstance is going to be successful. It certainly won't. There will always be a heart turned. There will be situations where in the midst of murmuring, the person, if you stand up against them, will get even more angry. And then guess what? They're going to murmur about you. They're going to slander you and you're just going to be one. And that horrible group over there with those bad people. And that will just continue. And things will evolve and possibly devolve under different circumstances. And if that is the case, and if things implode upon themselves and things go poorly, and your slanderer is not corrected, and they then also have success in their slander, they assassinate your character, your reputation. They even take you in chains and deal with your body likewise. You will simply have the assurance that your Lord Jesus Christ knows what it is to be hated without a cause. That he knows what it is to be assassinated in public and hated and derided and hung upon a cross. You will know that you have a Lord that has gone before you and has suffered even more than his father David. And that he'll hear your cries for mercy. In any case, Christian, let me just simply say, you can't lose. In any case of action against this sort of sin, Christ is glorified and you are given greater strength in God. And so I encourage you, church, learn as you look over the shoulder of Jonathan. Learn in the defense of David. Be mighty, be strong. And stand in the face of a murmuring tongue, a tongue that God hates. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your word, for these wonderful testimonies of how you have sustained your people. Oh, Father, we ask that you would sustain our church and defend us from this sort of sin. Oh, Lord, we would love one another and that love would compel us to kindness compassion, oh Lord, for one another. That our words would be sweet like honey. Oh Lord, that we would always look upon one another and see Christ. Oh Father, that our words would be uplifting and helpful and challenging. And Lord, in season, that they would be mature and effective for our correction, clothed in your scripture and reliant in faith upon you. Father, bless us and grow us up in Christ. Make us the people that you intend for us to be. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.